Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. Hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said many times, Reverend King spent his life in service leading the campaign for social justice during the civil rights movement. That's why this Monday's federal holiday celebrating Reverend King's birth 95 years ago is the only one designated a national day of service. Who are the newest generations of like-minded young leaders for whom King's life serves as both inspiration and blueprint? A new documentary features four black African students who entered MIT pledging to return to their home countries after graduation. Later in the show, the memorial to Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. and his wife, Coretta Scott King, was unveiled last January on Boston Common. Also honored local Bostonians, These were icons for all of us, and especially for me uh, as a young person in Boston. In an ongoing tribute to the King's legacy of service, Embrace Boston has added new names to its roster of community honorees, including Dwayne and Deborah Jackson. But first, joining me remotely, author Musa, director and producer of the new documentary, Brief Tender Light. He joins me from Queens, New York. Hi, Arthur. Hi, Kali. Also with me, Philip Abel, CTO and co-founder of Cleva Banking, and a student featured in Brief Tender Light. Welcome, Philip. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have both of you. Starting with you, Arthur, the film is your uh, brainchild, your handiwork. Uh, You worked on it for, I want to get this right, 10 years? (laughs) A little bit more than 10 years, Um, (laughs) yes, but... Yeah, about that time. You are also in the film, so I just want to um, to make that clear to the listeners because uh, your experience at MIT mirrored um, what you then f- went on to film with the four young people that you profiled in Brief Tender Light. Um, so was that why you decided this was a film uh, about these students and their stories? Yes, um, the film Brief and the Light was inspired by my own journey of coming from Ghana, West Africa to the U.S. at 19, um, a little over two decades ago. And um, the flight that actually brought me to the U.S. was about a third or half full of other students from Ghana coming to, the, to various colleges in the U.S. It was an exciting flight, but I also, you know, we all had this, um, this goal of making that journey, this exciting journey, counts for our homes. And many years later, I felt like there was a complex, complicated story going on in that journey that seemed simple at the beginning. And so, you know, going back to make a film through the lives of Philip and uh, the three other participants was a way to revisit that journey and look at it with a little bit more of a critical gaze. So we... uh... I want to uh, have our listeners hear a little bit at the very beginning of the film um, when the four students and their families are hearing that they've been accepted to MIT. And I think everybody can appreciate the excitement. Here it is. When I looked on the screen, oh, my God, 
The truth is that I nearly went mad. I started screaming, I jumped. <laughs> I just got admitted into the best engineering institution in the whole world. Help me, brother, help me, sister, help the company. In Jesus' name. Amen. When I got the letter, I remember it was like 3 a.m. I would never forget it. Those three letters, MIT, they mean a lot to people. People expect things from you. Education empowers people. I think MIT will take me to the next big thing. So, Philip, um, MIT expects a lot from people like yourself, one of the four who are excited about uh, being accepted to MIT, and that is a big deal. Um, there are, I don't need to tell you, thousands of people that apply for those few spots at MIT, and uh, you uh, had one of them. Um, tell me about how excited you were at the time and, and really what it meant to you to be accepted to MIT at the time. To be honest, I still get goosebumps when I think about the moment I get the news because it was just, it, it was just unbelievable. Um, at the time, I was this student who had excellent grades at, um, through the Nigerian system, and I had taken the SAT. I was in a program at the U.S. Embassy in Abuja. I got opportunity to apply to American schools, but MIT, even within that program, among the people in that cohort, was considered out of reach, you know, even though we had excellent grades just because of how competitive it was. And so for me, getting that news, on it was March 15 for me, like slightly um, one, like the day after the, it was released, I saw that news and I almost lost my mind in that moment because it was just unbelievable. And it meant the beginning of like great things. I knew it at that point. So it was just all of that, um, realizing that all at once was just so great. Now back to you, Arthur. Um, one of the points that you wanted to make, the overarching point, uh, because I think that you could look at this film and see so uh, much of the stories of the four as universal. Fear of the unknown, college questioning yourself and after you get there and find out how smart everybody else is, <laughs> not just you. <laughs> uh, homesickness, um, a, a, a kind of a feeling of loss. Am I supposed to be here or not? Um, all of those things are fairly universal for for new college students. But there was something else that connected both you and these four. And that was the weight of the community that you left behind. That and it's a self-imposed weight. The community didn't put it on you, but 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 you wanted to, you and the four that you profiled, and I'll have Philip weigh in in a second, bring back whatever you would get from MIT to your home countries in some way. Uh, make a difference where you came from. And that was very important. Yes, yes, it was. I think, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if Philip will agree with me on this, but growing up in Ghana, I think it's part of our culture that you look out for each other, that you're your neighbor's keeper. Um, and so I think that expectation is something that we all kind of, imbibe just growing up in um you know in, in a Ghanaian culture maybe in a Nigerian culture and once you get that um elite you know chance that's an elite education abroad at one of the best institutions in the world you internalize this um this goal of making that journey counts for your home in some way and so the in, within the film Philip and the three other participants allow us to look at 
different versions of those dreams, of those ambitions and those expectations. You know, for some of the participants, uh, for some people, it's very much about making a change in the lives of their um, immediate family. For others, it's a little bit more of a national um, uh, ambition. And um, sometimes it's more for your community, for your town, or it can be a mix of those those things. Philip, do you agree? 100%. I think uh, the culture I grew up in, even from a very young age, would reinforce this notion of the we all grow together. So I, I'm like the oldest in my family. And so from a very, very young age, my older relatives would tell me how it's good to collaborate with my mom to make sure my siblings were doing well and that if I was doing well in life, it wouldn't just be me. They will be looking at the entire family doing well too for it to be considered good. It shouldn't just be me. So from a very, very young age, I had that understanding going, growing up and then coming to an environment like MIT where pretty much everyone else is, is excellent and like has all this great ambitions about all the great things they want to do. And you can actually see people doing these things that even for that reinforced, you know, my, the belief I already came into MIT with that, like I was a change agent and whatever I could do within my power to like either positively influence my family, my siblings, and then Nigeria or like anything I could do within my power, I would like jump on it and just, and just do it. So I want to be clear that all of you all are brilliant as far as I'm concerned, because I would not be getting into MIT. <laughs> I took classes at MIT in humanities, Philip, just so you know. <laughs> when I was Those are my favorite. <laughs> yeah, because I could do that because I came from Wellesley. But but some of the other courses you were taking, not so much. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to make that clear. Uh, that even um, knowing that, and um, there were times when uh, many of you, as was expressed in the film, felt Am I really supposed to be here? And it was really tough. And I, I'm going to play a clip uh, from another student named Sante. And here she is when she didn't pass her physics class and is trying to cope with that. I just go back from my Christmas break. I'm taking Python, Zumba, and what else am I taking? And a physics class. And the reason why I'm taking a physics class is that I didn't pass the class. Uh, yeah, I guess it's really hard for me, honestly, um, to come to terms with that. If I'm not good in physics, then how am I going to be an engineer? I don't understand. Maybe this is not the right place for me. Now, I'm going to do a spoiler alert right here and say everybody graduated. <laughs> so <laughs> that was Sante having a struggle at the time, but everybody graduated and did quite well. Um, including you, Philip. Um, and I was struck also as you were making your way, you know, dealing with some of the issues as Sante has explained there. Um, you had something else going on, which is uh, we're hearing more about on some of these elite campuses, which is finding yourself in a completely different socioeconomic situation, which just made you stand out in a way you weren't prepared to stand out for. And before you talk about it, I'm just going to play a clip from the from the film. And here you are at MIT doing work study, I assume, taking squash court reservations so people understand what you're doing as the as this clip starts. Squash reservations, 9 a.m. tomorrow. I, I got you in for the second cards. Can I get you your name, please? I had a shock. 
at the diversity seminar we had here at MIT. When I say if you come from a poor home, can you stand up? In the whole hall, I was the only one who, who stood up. I felt somehow bad because it was as if every other person is different from me. That, I can't tell you how much that struck me, Philip, and just thinking about your standing up and everybody else is sitting down and, and you're feeling, whoa, whoa, am I supposed to be here? You know, talk more about that and how you really overcame that as you um, went through the years at MIT. Yes, it's um, that one, you know, at the time, it, I think it came out of surprise to me because I was expecting that maybe there were other students who were also kind of like from, from like me who came to MIT and were on full scholarship because their parents couldn't necessarily afford. So there was that surprise that was coming from that. But how I navigated feeling that way uh, was mostly just looking for ways that I could find support in the community I, I lived in. Um, so for example, there's this house, MIT student house that I talk about all the time, kind of like one of my favorite spaces, places at MIT where I moved to that allowed me to find community, find other students who were kind of like me, who were international students or even American students that had to do work study, do all these different things in addition to not everyone at the house did, but a good percentage of us did. So we had similar struggles and we could talk through or help each other out. Student house also provided subsidized housing, which meant I could save money out of the stipend I was getting from MIT and also use that to cover some of my own needs without having to work as much like I used like I needed to do when I was on campus. But overall, from a social angle, I would say that um, it impacted me initially that I, I felt like, oh, everyone else at MIT is different from me, but I go overcame that pretty quickly because we and me and other students had a lot more going on that we were a lot more in common in terms of, you know, and had the struggles of like, having to deal with the pace at MIT and all these different things we were having to do to stay on top of our work that uh, eventually got past that whole identity kind of um, or social kind of like confusion that I felt in the early days. Mm. Now, Philip, you, you ended up staying in America, so you live in America now and you are, as we've said, CTO and co-founder of Clever Banking. It's a fintech company. Um, and it's uh, as you explained it, it's not a bank, but it helps people outside the U.S. get U.S. dollar bank accounts. Uh, tell me how you got to this point, <laughs> um, just briefly, um, from initially studying uh, computer science, well, electrical, electrical engineering, then computer science, and then, you know, here you are, this sort of marries some of that. Um, how, how did you end up in this place? And do you enjoy it? <laughs> yes, I would say that I definitely really enjoy what I'm doing now. Um, and the goal has always been this. And what I mean by that is, even when I came into MIT, my goal has always been, how do I acquire, what do I, what position do I want to be in so that I can leverage the skills I'm acquiring here to impact Nigeria or impact home um, in, a, in a free way. So one of the reasons why I started computer science at the time was it gave me freedom to be able to work with just a laptop and an internet and I can do a lot more. And so what I ended up doing after graduating was working at tech companies. But even though I was working and earning well and, and doing great in life, it still didn't feel like I was utilizing my skills to 
address the core concern that I had from the early days of impacting Nigeria. And so the summary of everything and why I'm working at Clever Banking now or running Clever Banking is that I got contacted by uh, a great colleague, my co-founder who worked at, uh, as a product manager at Stripe. So we identified this particular problem and we saw that there is a big need for it. And so everything just looked like, okay, the, the, the right moment for us to dive in and try to address this problem for people. And in fact, I mean, you are you are doing what you said you wanted to do, which is give back to Nigeria through this work. So you're still on the path that you initially started when you uh, enrolled at MIT. Exactly. Yes. Author, I was wondering, as you've been screening the film, are audiences uh, picking up this as an overarching theme? Or what are they seeing when they look at the stories of the four and the, the little bit of your own life that you have also included in the film? I would say, yes, the spirit of service for sure is resonating. I think for Africans or people who have lived through the international student experience or maybe have even left home and gone a little bit far away for, for college years, I think the experience of, um, of seeing their lives reflected on screen has been really moving. Sometimes it's been painful. Some aspects of it has been painful, as, as some of uh, the audience members have mentioned. But they feel like it was, um, you know, great to see their lives celebrated, um, especially, you know, in, in a form that can be available for sort of, you know, generations um, in the future. Well, the news was happening as you were filming, doing this filming over 10 years, and that um, the Supreme Court's affirmative action decision came down. So there was that discussion happening. And then um, the African students who come from a dominant culture where they are see themselves every day found themselves uh, in the midst of American racism, where the whole question of belonging is always um, uh, front and center, I would say, uh, for African Americans. And um, you wove that in too, author, because um, why? You wanted us to understand that, you know, this is, there may not be, um, we not be, may not be on the same continents, but some issues are very mm, common. Yes. Um, so, yes, the film kind of touches on a lot of um, issues in society, I would say. Um, but in, in a way, what we're really looking at is how, um, you know, the four, or, you know, if you count me as well, the five participants in the film and the stories, the the story of maturation that happens in that, how our youthful idealism, how that matures into adulthood as a result of, you know, the pressures um, in, in the contemporary lives that we're living, as well as, you know, the different factors in our backgrounds, how, how those things um, apply pressure on this youthful idealism, on this, um, you know, uh, culture of service that we want to honor and, and what we do with that at the, at the very end. And so one of the things that, you know, we follow is um, what race means in America, what being black means in America. And that's something very different from, you know, the experience, the, our experiences in our home countries where we really are part of an overwhelming majority. Now, one of you, I'll allow you two to describe how you feel about this because you could come away from the film saying feeling sad about one aspect of it, which I'm going to allow Sante to, in the film to discuss a little bit more thoroughly in just a second. 
But it feels like there's also as much as you are um, reconnected, you are disconnected from culturally because of the culture of America and what it does to people when they get here. I mean, it's just, you know, that assimilation thing is hard. <laughs> it's hard to escape. And there you are. And then you're in an institution like MIT. And it's, you know, it's ever present. And I, we saw all of you kind of struggle to figure out, well, what does that mean for me? Um, of course, I belong here as a student and as one who has some a contribution to make. But does that mean I have to disconnect from my home country and my family? Or am I a different person? Anyway, here's Sante talking about with her parents after she went back on a trip to Tanzania. Remember how when I was talking about when you can be culturally lost and you lose yourself? I did lose myself. I lost myself completely. And I felt like I lost myself. I discovered that I lost myself at the airport before we were leaving. Because you asked me, are you excited to see your parents? I was excited to see you guys, but I also felt like I wanted to stay. I felt like I had a home, far away from home. Does that make any sense? Which is weird because I grew up here. Philip, did you struggle with that? Um, I would say not so much in my own case, at least um, in the first couple of years, partly because um, the bulk of my experience, if I recall, between 2011 to 15, was things were just like me being super focused on on school or work and stuff, so not as much time to um, think about or feel this particular way about home. The, the, the distinct feeling I remember is actually really missing home and wanting to go home. But uh, that, that sense of feeling more at home in America took a while for me before I actually got there. And it's it's becoming more of a case now that my family's part of my family are here in the U.S. Philip, what do you want uh, viewers uh, to take away from not only your story, but uh, your the other three in the film as well? And the film overall? Yes, um, I would say that at least they get to see different glimpses of the experience of uh, international students. So depending on who the viewer is, if they are international students, I hope they get to understand how um, adaptability is so important and f figuring out ways for one to kind of like thrive within a new environment while maintaining their North Star, like, okay, what originally brought them here? I mean, things can change over time and people can change, but as long as one optimizes for being happy and, and being true to themselves, um, it's, it's, it's a very, very important thing. And it doesn't just happen on its own. One has to like be conscious and actively like um, reflecting and taking action to like stay true to themselves. Um, it's, it's, it's just one angle. Lot, lots of other things to take away, but I'll just focus on the internationals watching this. What about you, Arthur? I would say the takeaway for me is about how we all belong in all spaces all around the world. Um, for me, the film has always been about the celebrating um, the lives of African students and Black people at institutions like MIT. It's a story I had not seen told, but I felt like had you know, the, these migration patterns or international students coming to the U.S., um, integrating in American society, contributing into American society has been going on for a really long time. And I had not seen a film that really tackled that in, a, in, 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 any, in any substantial way. And so 
this is, um, I, I hope that people feel celebrated and I hope that the universality of the story connects. Well, I wanted to, um, before we leave this conversation, allow you, author, to update everybody, even though if they haven't seen the film, this, this is not a spoiler alert, about where all um, the other three are. We know where Philip is and how he got there. But where are the other three? Um, and are they pretty good with where they are? Yes, I think people are living complex, um, interesting lives, very dynamic lives. I hesitate to give very specific details. Um, I leave that up to the participants to share as we we forward the film. Uh, but I will I will say most people's lives is sort of uh, bouncing back and forth between the African continent and the U.S. and North America uh, for the most part. And a number of them are involved in either projects or or other initiatives which connect directly back to what they said they wanted to do when they entered MIT, which is doing some work for their home countries or making a contribution in, in some very interesting ways using uh, what they learned from MIT. I would say, you know, the film gives us a window into this um, chapter uh, of life, you know, from college years into your sort of your first jobs after college. And um, in terms of how much time we cover, the story unfolds over about eight to 10 years, um, if you count you know, the stuff that's happening in Ghana as well. And obviously, since we last filmed with them, their lives have moved on. It's been another, what, 10, 10 years since they graduated? No, eight years since they graduated. Um, so you know, they're sort of in, all, in very different chapters of their lives. And so where the film leaves them is a particular chapter but life goes on and um, and has a way of taking interesting turns. So as you know, as we've said, um, this um, particular program is really in tribute to the legacy of service of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. So how do you see it connected, Arthur? I, I think it connects because Martin Luther King, um, he was about creating a world where everybody uh, was respected and everybody belonged um, and everybody was had equal rights. And so this film makes a similar argument um, and gives us a window into the lives of uh, people that maybe are not often celebrated in the film form, or maybe we don't have um, we don't have access to um, in an intimate way. And so the film really is about belonging. And I would, um... Uh, want to come back to you now personally because you are in the film as well. Um, you're a graduate of MIT. You uh, came in in the same way as the four that you profiled uh, did, saying, um, going back to Ghana, I'm going to do some things. Um, there are some very specific reasons that uh, Ghana has not been particularly welcoming to you as a gay person at this point. But you're doing something entirely different from the <laughs> electrical, chemical engineering scene from MIT. So tell us how you got to where you are now. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm a filmmaker now, and um, I, I have always been a storyteller in high school in Ghana, the Presbyterian Boys Secondary School. My life was defined by the drama club. I was a theater geek. Um, my friends and I and our teacher would put shows on. Um, and that really was the thing that really excited us. And even at MIT, my favorite classes were my writing classes. Uh, my favorite, uh, you know, the teachers that I'm still in touch with, uh, former mentors are all the writing professors. 
And so I guess that thread has stayed with me. And um, I went to film school for a couple of years at the University of Southern California, the School of Cinematic Arts, um, the two years in the MFA program. And um, out of that, I, I launched um, this project, which took 13 years to complete. So yeah, it was a long journey it, along the way the filmmaking was supported by my engineering skills because I was working at an engineering firm that paid the bills and, you know, paid <laughs> paid for the film. But yeah. Well, you know, what what was the pivotal moment this, that despite all the evidence that you were in the storytelling field, so to speak, you decided to go engineering? <laughs> Well, I did have a curiosity about how the world worked. Um, so I guess I, you know, as somebody who's uh, good at the sciences and math um, in with, you know, within Ghana, um, you kind of are steered towards, you know, becoming a doctor or an engineer, a lawyer, maybe. And so I think it was part of that upbringing. Um, and, and the fact that I was, you know, actually curious about the world, which question, some of those questions are answered by science and engineering. Um, so all of that was interesting, and I thought the practical thing would be to major in engineering, which I did. And actually, it turned out right because I didn't know that as an immigrant without, um, you know, a familial support system in the U.S. that I could have just started off as a filmmaker. I think the engineering was necessary and was a necessary part of, of my, my journey as a, as a storyteller. So one last question. Um, the title of the film, Brief Tender Light, the only reference I could find was to the poet Byron. But other than that, uh, help us understand why you titled it. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, so the film had a working title for the many years of production. And during the edit, there were a couple of years where I was editing myself. I was raising funding to bring on more experienced editors and I happened across a masterclass by um, by uh, an editing consultant who made the point about, you know, even if you have multiple participants in a film, if you have multiple characters in a film, documentary or fiction, you only can have one protagonist. Um, and sometimes that protagonist isn't a person, it's an idea. And the light bulb went off in my head um, and I understood that really what I was chasing in the film is the question of whether youthful idealism can survive the process of growing up. So once I embraced that, um, you know, that helped with structuring the film. You know, we had you know, four, four stories at that time, five ultimately. Um, but having that unifying theme um, was really helpful. And so I, it needed a new title to really kind of point it in that direction. And so really a brief tender light of youthful idealism is what um, what uh, we were going for. Oh, okay. Well, thank you, because I was curious about it. And thank you, uh, and Philip, uh, both of you, for joining me. Thank you so much, Kelly. Yes, thank you. Author Musa is the director and producer of the new documentary, Brief Tender Light, and Philip Abel is the CTO and co-founder of Cleva Banking and a student featured in Brief Tender Light. Coming up, we're continuing our discussion this hour about the legacy of service of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in observance of the federal holiday. Embrace Boston led the campaign to create the memorial honoring the Reverend King and his wife and the King's history in Boston and the histories of local Bostonians honored for their notable contributions to making Boston more inclusive. 
Two of the 2024 honorees join us. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley.